No creaky chair. No clink, crinkling ice. Crinkling ice? Clinking ice? How do you say it? No, ice doesn't crinkle. Ice, what does ice do? Tinkle. Tinkling ice. Don't tinkle the ice in your glasses. Okay, welcome everyone to Jazz. No, just kidding. I think I would get the name right by now. <laughs> welcome to Jazz. There you go. It's a big, big podcast, that. With Ken okay. Burns. Yes. And the images will be floating around the screen. Okay, welcome everyone to Tokyo Jazz Joints. It is episode 43, and if you've been listening to the last two episodes, you will know that this is the third of three, and we're kind of doing a greatest hits uh, compilation, really, and this is the big one. It's volume three, which is usually a bit uh, rubbish compared to volumes one and two, but for us, really, this is the big one. We're going to be choosing our all-time favourite and favourite joints I don't know why I said that twice. James, you usually leave the names up to me for the episodes, and I have come up with the name for this one, which is going to blow your mind with its creativity, of my favourite things. Obviously, in honour of uh, Julie Andrews doing that cover of the John Coltrane classic, My Favourite Things. I think that was the correct order. And uh, it's going to be our favourite places. Not an easy task. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just wow. something. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> Shall we reschedule? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? Why did I get? Should the, I call your get, wife? Why did I get the funnies now? <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I think it was the Julie Andrews crack. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought for a second there I was going to have to call your wife. I was trying to figure out what the Japanese emergency number was. Yeah. I couldn't remember if it was 911 or 119. Okay, we'll get into it. Philip, that's a perfect, perfect title. How many times have we heard John Coltrane in all of the wonderful places that are in contention for this very, very special award? And, you know, I say this in all sincerity. Uh, I think that all of our nominees and the eventual winner would be very proud uh, to get this to get this award because we have spent a lot of time. I mean, we're coming up on six years now that we've been wandering around. Give yep. or take a few long breaks. Um, as you mentioned in the previous episode, we've gone to 160 of these joints together. So we, we really do have a good appreciation for it. So this was done in all seriousness. And um, I'm so excited to explain my methodology as well. I, I know that you were saying when we were offline how the listeners would be very excited as well about this, right? I would say probably that the only person excited about that is you. But, I mean, that's okay because, you know, this this is your forum. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, what I would like to start by saying probably is that I think um, – I think already, I mean, I, I kind of established, I, I wouldn't say strict rules, but they were sort of fairly clear. I thought we're going to nominate uh, four places and um, one of them is going to be basically your favourite place. Now, there's a couple of caveats. That the first one is you've clearly already not stuck to the rules and we'll come to that in a moment. The second thing is that for me, I've never been a person for favourites. So, you know, apart from obviously yourself, you know, because like, 
you know, people say, what's your favorite song? What's your favorite film? And like, I am never able just to, to recall, oh, that's it. And I think, I don't know why that is. It's one of those really annoying questions. You know, people say, oh, what's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? And I've never, ever been able to answer it because there's certain things that are favorites at the time. And then there's certain things that are favorites for like various reasons. And so I really, really struggled with this because you kind of almost have to, I mean, you applied a very strict methodology. I, on the other hand, last night, <laughs> flicked through my phone and just kind of went more on my gut. Uh, and it was like the places that, you know, if I hadn't been to anywhere else, I thought I'm really glad I got a chance to experience well, them. Well, Philip, it's so funny because you, you you don't remember, but I think it was really early days, really early days. It might have been a vague memory of it maybe being in Shinjuku at the sadly closed uh, jazz room stick. But we had a very similar conversation to this where we were talking about um, you know, in those days, that was when my podcast was just starting out and uh, people were asking me like, oh, are you just going to play some of your favorite records? And I was like, well, I mean, first of all, that would be thousands and thousands. So, you know, maybe and I'm still going today. But we did have this discussion about that, about how it was almost kind of annoying that if somebody asked you, what's your favorite record? It doesn't I mean, you kind of assume that they're not really a music fan then. You know, because none of the people who we kind of hang out with and collect a lot of music would really ever ask that. They might say like, "Well, what's your favorite Coltrane album, for example?" But but that uh, I, I agree with you. So I took this to be my favorite jazz joint. If I was asked to bring someone who had never been, um, what would be the most representative and the most perfect place to kill three or four hours, so I could show them why I love jazz joints so much that was how i i kind of had to approach it because otherwise well as you mentioned you gave very strict rules about um bringing four nominees to the table and um that was impossible so i brought 10 now, okay. it's ridiculous it's not already too bad. ridiculous it's only, only 2.5 times higher than the limit that's not too bad 10 okay um but i made a system where i would judge them on five categories Okay. And again, going in a little bit with the gut as well. It's a mixture of the personal and the objective. So um, I'll give those to you very quickly. The five categories are how does it rate as a cafe? How does it rate as a bar? Uh, how does the owner rate? What kind of collection or, you know, how would I grade the collection? And then a very sort of hard one to define what's the vibe like? And in those five categories, I went through my 10 nominees and I was able to get to a winner. So it's marginally more s systematic than my approach. Marginally. Marginally, yes. Okay. <laughs> so with that in mind, then, I think, Professor, you should kick off. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, it was hard. Philip, like we've told people over the course of 42 episodes, we've been to 160 places um, all around the country. And it... I really can't think of a single one that didn't have anything redeeming about it. Okay, well, um, I'll tell you what, James, I'll do you a deal. I love a good negotiation, although it's not really because I'm just going to tell you what we're going to do. But basically, you couldn't stick to the rules. I, of course, did. Uh, not that I'm known for, 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 for sticking to rules, to be honest. But 
let's compromise and why don't we say um we'll make it six okay so let let because it, it really is a different i mean we're talking about 160 places you're trying to reduce it to one so let's say we'll we'll we'll, we'll kind of share our favorite six or the six that stand out most for us one of which i think we'll, we'll just for the sake of the the podcast and the episode we'll stick a label on it and say favorite place ever i'm pretty confident that the one that i've chosen you know if i had to 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 get rid of all the other memories and all the other experiences that we've had i think this would be the one that I would choose to keep. So how does that sound? That's a fair compromise. And, you know, when uh, when I uh, put up the uh, Tokyo Jazz Joints podcast Outcast series or Outtake series, um, I will go on at length uh, about my uh, 10 uh, previous nominees. So that's no problem at all. <laughs> if anyone's out there and they're interested in paying for that, um, I'd see a doctor. Okay, so um, let's start with uh, one of yours. Go on then. What you got? <laughs> going to go up north to an absolute gem, um, a place that I fell in love with um, from the moment I I even just stood outside before going in. And it's another place that I know that you probably have on your list as well. It's Octet in Yamagata. Go on then. Why did you choose that one? Well, so shy today. You're so you're so shy to talk about these things. It's not like (laughs) you. What is wrong with you? Tell us about it. Uh, Pull back the curtain. Octet is just perfect. (laughs) Um, We've mentioned how we met the owner Aizawa-san when we were at a different place in uh, Yokohama. He happened to be in town visiting some friends, and uh, the owner of the Marshmallow uh, Jazz Cafe introduced us to Aizawa-san. We got his meishi, thinking, "Well, when are we going to get to Tohoku? Yamagata is quite a trek from Tokyo." Uh, but eventually made it up there, and um, it's just amazing. It's just a couple minutes from the station. It's a, it's a small wooden room just packed with records, floor to ceiling. And Aizawa-san is just one of the kindest, kindest owners that we've met on the whole trip. Um, he had remembered me, even though we met probably for about three minutes, uh, eight months previously, but he remembered who I was and was so excited um, that I came up to the bar. And I know that you had a great reception too, because Octet's one that we did not go to together. Um, but um, you said that you had the same warm reception when you got up there. So I was always really happy to hear that. And it just sort of rates high in every category. As I mentioned, I, I sort of ranked my places by categories of how is it as a cafe or a bar at night? How nice is the owner? How chatty is the owner? What kind of record collection in there? And then it's very hard to describe category, like what's the vibe? Is it a place that you could sit for three, four hours either by yourself or sit and make friends with the other customers? And Octet pretty much has it all, except for the location, um, which is very, very far away, which prevents it from being number one on my list. It's just one of those uber jazz joints for me course if you live in Yamagata it'd be very close but yeah it, it was a great place I had a beautiful time there um, and he was very concerned about me missing my train I mean it's right beside the train station so there wasn't any danger of that but again it was just you know he's just a lovely guy and and so um, just so welcoming and you know straight away knew who we were and thought it was great that you know we'd, I'd come up to, to photograph the place and, and yeah fab place uh, nice one to kick off with my first one then, um, I'm not going to wait for you to ask after last week. My first one would be um, Modern Jazz Charmant. And if there's any French listeners out there, I hope that that pronunciation is, is, is up to speed. It's hard to describe the night that we had in Charmant, but <laughs> it was just, I mean, I mean, first of all, ju- just the place itself, it, it, it's got this tiny little staircase 
Um, it's a little wooden room up upstairs. You know, you, you would kind of, you could easily believe it's not even a, a place apart from the fact that there's a sign outside. And on the sign, of course, it says, you know, 1955, which, you know, when you think about it, I mean, Japan joined uh, World War II in 1941. By 1945, Tokyo was basically leveled. And yet, you know, 10 years or less than 10 years later, this place was opening. And the fact that it's been going for that long and then you know that you get the kind of the stories behind him and obviously the owner ishioka sang is a part-time well i don't know which is part-time he's a dentist so whether he's a part-time dentist and a jazz <laughs> joint owner or the or the or the reverse i'm not 100 sure but you know when we came in there i mean he was very kind very welcoming but also just utterly utterly focused on the music in a way that i've never seen really anyone before perhaps except for like a live musician and as you can see from the photographs, when we were there, he spent uh, most of the time between serving drinks, uh, cleaning records, and again, not just sort of casually cleaning records, like you, you know, you dust something off, but really, religiously, and really obsessively uh, cleaning. You can see he's got the plastic gloves on, he's got the cleaning fluid, uh, and he's got the the sort of the duster as well, and. Each of these records, he would clean and clean again, and then he would pile them up. And the idea of piling them up without putting them back in the sleeves, of course, was that those were the next records that they were going to be played. And then on top of that, you just have, you know, you've got these guitars hanging up. You've got this amazing sort of uh, post-it um, uh, style of organizing all his record collection. And then, of course, there's the famous story that, you know, we were sitting at the bar um, and a family of three came in very odd uh, and not perhaps the kind of customers that we were expecting to find in that kind of place and after uh, a few minutes uh, asked him to turn the music down and I still <laughs> think it's shocking to this very day in a country where you know customer service is king he just told them if they didn't like it they could clear off and they did and I mean it just was one of the most incredible evenings uh, in an incredible place. And again, I think also just to, to add sort of a wider dimension to that is just the, the, the fact that Tokyo lives under this constant threat of earthquake. And, you know, you know that places like Charmont, if that earthquake does come and it does hit Tokyo directly, they'll be gone forever, um, you know, just destroyed. And, and that will be lost uh, to posterity. And an amazing, amazing place. It's it's a classic joint. It's um it's the oldest remaining jazz spot in in the Tokyo uh, city area. If you um, don't include Shigusa, which reopened, which had predated it, but it's uh yeah, it's a remarkable place. It it defines perfectly dingy old Tokyo Showa era jazz. Um, and yeah, I love it. It was on my it was on my list of top ten. And your long <laughs> so, list, your long list. It was on my long list. Yes. Um, well, that's great. You know, it's good that you mentioned that first because it leads perfectly into my second selection, which which shares a lot of the vibe of Charmant. Um, old, dusty, in, in a building that probably has not had a safety inspection in quite a while because if it did, it, it may have not passed, um, despite having a new elevator. And it's <laughs> it's Paper Moon in Ikebukuro. Mm. And Paper Moon is a place, and if, if you go in and look at the pictures, it has... Um, two of my all-time favorite pictures that you've taken, Philip. Um, one is of, of the owner, Yoshikawa-san, um, you know, standing 
in in the in the doorway you can kind of see the wall of records behind him as you enter and another one of uh, a customer who had come in while we were there and after a few drinks um whether it was exhaustion stress or he was just grooving to the music put his head down onto the bar um Hmm. and kind of perfectly captured what a Japanese jazz bar at night, late at night feels like. Um, I think Paper Moon is is probably my favorite place to go and drink at nighttime because of everything that I mentioned. Um, the owner is so friendly. He's got an unbelievably diverse collection, which not every jazz cafe or bar has. Sometimes the owners will lean one way or the other into genre, you know? Um, but he pretty much has got all kinds of jazz, including a lot of Japanese jazz records, which you don't always hear in a jazz bar. Um, it's in a, a little bit of a dingier part of town, so it's got that kind of old historical feel. And uh, bonus points that he's got Guinness. So, you know, um, I mean, it rated highly in every single category. Uh, the only thing, you know, the only minus for Paper Moon is that it opens as a bar, so it's not, it's not a jazz cafe time, so you can't go for a coffee and like pull down some of the magazines or anything like that it's only a nighttime place but as a nighttime bar i i think it's um yeah it's by far my favorite place to go drinking nice choice and uh shout out to benedict and martina in berlin of course who uh, run rhinoceros jazz bar there and i know they're huge fans of paper moon uh, and were spent a lot of time when they were there in japan uh, a couple of years ago yeah, again, great choice. And and it has a real fondness for me, this one particularly. Um, the couple of things that stand out for me were, were just the sheer um, sort of the sheer grime, um, particularly in the kitchen area. That I remember us sort of commenting on that at the time. And of course, the the not so enticing um, white wine or sparkling wine for 3,000 yen. But also they had all this amazing, he had all this amazing stuff across the walls, you know, old posters and real collectible stuff, you know, stuff that looks even sort of like handmade posters and things. Really, really cool. And the photo you referenced, you know, with the the salary man who in one photograph obviously has got his eyes closed and then by the next one um, has his head firmly down on the counter. I think that always sticks in my mind because, of course, he was playing the Ornette Coleman album at that time. And I think it was the day before the Ornette Coleman had died. So it was one of those nice, you know, sort of serendipitous moments where all these kind of things come together uh, in the way that they only can in one of these jazz kisa or jazz bars. And, and you know, it's just a, a, a great memory, uh, fab place and, you know, long may it continue. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that it's still open during the uh, during the pandemic. I hope to get up there soon, as soon as it's safe. So, okay, up to your second joint. Don't think you're going to guess many of the rest of mine, but this one uh, you definitely won't get. My second nomination would be Jazz Bar Impro. Wow. No, I wasn't expecting that. Okay. Yeah. Say, full of yeah. surprises me. Yeah. I'll tell you why this one... Um, because again, I think for me, and and it may be related to the photography, but you know, the ones that really stand out in my mind are, are the ones that have this kind of story. Uh, you can almost imagine it as a short story or uh, like as a, as a piece of fiction. Because, like we went, and and if you're looking at the photographs on TokyoJazzJoint.com, you know, if you look for Impro, it's it's in Tokyo, um, and. It looks like I've just photographed the front of the bar, but actually the doorway that you see with this handwritten sign and then the blackboard above it, that is the place. You know, it it is this tiny, (laughs) 
tiny space. Like in a lot of houses, this is a walk-in closet or, you know, like a bathroom. But it, it, it's this absolutely uh, minuscule place. And of course, again, you know, when we went there, we had literally no idea if it was going to open. I remember wandering around uh, those streets nearby for quite a long time in the hope that he would turn up. And I think we went to got drinks or food or something else. And by the time we came back, of course or at least the second or third time that we came back on the same night, he had, of course, happily opened and we got in. And it was so dark in there. And you can see from the sheer graininess of the photographs, like I was shooting at a very high ISO. It was really hard to get anything sort of on handheld. And of course, um, he also then confessed a couple of things to the one of them was that uh, he was a salary man. And so um, he only opened this place certain times of the week, certain times uh, of the evening. And of course, was not keen on anyone, certainly himself being photographed, which again made us think that in some ways he was living this kind of double life that sometimes you come across a lot in Japan, especially in Tokyo, where people are kind of one thing by day and another thing by night, very superhero vibe. And then on top of that, of course, he, he confessed that he had at one point been in touch with the Guinness Book of Records to get it um, classified as the smallest jazz, bo uh, jazz bar in the world, which we were like amazing, just like absolutely blown away by. And again, quite a Japanese conclusion to the whole story was that he was just a bit nervous about his English. He couldn't really be bothered with the sort of back and forth, the communication, or he was embarrassed to be doing it in English. And he just gave up on it. And, you know, I mean, okay, it's not the greatest thing in the it's not everybody's raison d'etre to get in the Guinness Book of Records, but it just seems funny, you know, that it's one of those things that had gone to that point or to that level. And then he just pulled back and thought, nah. And then, you know, finally, I guess, is just the the nice little reference there to, to the first place that we ever uh, photographed, which was, of course, Pithecanthropus erectus. And he has that original cover of the Charles Mingus album up on the wall, too. So it was a combination of all those things that just made me think, yeah, Impro's one of those really special... Uh, places that you know it, it's it's very hard as much as we're trying to do it on this podcast and through the photography to really get across a sense of like how unique and how incredible these places are but Impro for me is a quintessential example of that. Fantastic pick and I mean yeah agree with everything you said and, and would love to just point out as well that uh, if you're listening, please, as always, go to tokyojazzjoints.com. Uh, check the pictures. Impro is in the Tokyo region. And uh, the sign on the front is just, there's so much that makes me laugh about the sign. So he's got this wooden block that just has jazz bar written on it. It's kind of wedged on a little shelf there. Yep. And then above that, it rather strangely tilted jazz bar impro with an arrow pointing to the right, which does not make any sense because the door is on the left. Yeah. And then um, at the bottom, it's it says in Japanese under no charge, it says um, seki, okuni seki ari, which means like there there is a seat in the back because there is a tiny little table filled yeah, there is. we actually right. sat there. Yeah, we did, yeah, because a couple of the photographs were taken from there. He also mm. had a really beautiful, which you don't actually see there. I think maybe... He puts it out when he opens, but there was also a really beautifully hand-carved sign, if you remember, in wood, and I'll pop that up on the social media feed. I took that on my phone, but um, there was a really nice version of the sign. These two, I don't know if they were like the prototypes, but <laughs> there is a there is a third sign which does have a much more sort of professional and classy mm. look to it. But yeah, I mean, literally a shack down an alleyway and yeah. just everything that the project's about. Amazing Wonderful. place. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. A fantastic pick. Go on then. What you got right. next? 
Pick number three, um, a place near and dear to my current home in the wonderful port city of Yokohama. And I would be shocked if you did not have this on your list, Philip. It's, of course, Downbeat. Um, Downbeat. Wow. Just uh, the second oldest place in Yokohama, only because Chigusa predates it. Um, but as we've discussed on various episodes, the great Chigusa, which was the first ever jazz joint in Japan, had closed for a couple years till uh, supporters had reopened it. But right down the street and much less famous because um, it's not been documented nearly as much in the overseas media. I think you and I, Philip, have given it a little bit of publicity, which is which is very nice. But it is, of course, downbeat um, and absolutely absolute superstar of a place um now on its third owner and i've become quite friendly with him uh, a really young dude named yoshihisa san he's only 33 years old Amazing. used to be a customer of the place and ended up taking it over had not grown up a jazz fan grew to love jazz because he was a customer at downbeat and when he grew disgruntled in his very boring salaryman office job and the owner the second owner of downbeat had mentioned that well it might be time to sell i'm getting older i feel like retiring my wife doesn't want to come in every day yoshihisa-san just took the plunge and decided i'm gonna buy it from you I don't know how he did the finances, but they worked out a deal. And it was just such a beautiful story to hear because we've, as we've documented, so many places have closed when they don't have a successor, when the owners need to sell. And the coolest thing is that Yoshihisa-san has kept downbeat exactly as it is. I mean, if you walk in there, you'll feel like it is 1960. Look at the way he's got the posters like sort of like slicked up with wax up on even up on the ceiling. Yeah. Let's look how he has the record booth around the little window so you can kind of poke your head in and make a request. And Philip, I know you remember the volume when we went in there one night, the first time that we went there. I mean, he had the volume cranked to a level that I think I've only heard at like clubs when I've been to rock gigs. I mean, it was that loud. There was no way you could speak in this place. But if you love the music and you're going to hear the music, like you said, that's the whole raison d'etre of these places. Drop the conversation, order your drink, sit back, close your eyes, and let the music assault you. And uh, yeah, Downbeat just has it all. It's uh, one of the most perfect spots in Japan. It's not on my list, but it was definitely a contender. And I think had I spent more time there, it probably would have been. I, I, I do think it's it's like stepping back in time. And yeah, of course, I remember the volume. Uh, the whole vibe of it was was like, a, you know, it's like a ready-made film set if you were if you were making a film about the '60s or you know counterculture or whatever it might be. And I think um, had I had I spent more time there, probably like like you've done, it would have been on the list. But yeah, an, an absolute uh, classic classic joint, and so encouraging to hear and find out that um, a younger uh, owner has taken it over. I mean, thirty three. You know, there's another fifty odd years potentially the downbeat <laughs> could be going. So, uh, what a fantastic uh, development! And again, sort of. In the bigger picture, very much the reverse of what we've come to see uh, in so many other places. Oh, for places. sure, because, you know, in, in the neighborhood that it's in, which is a, a, an old portside neighborhood called Noge, filled with old uh, izakaya taverns and uh, jazz cafes and other music bars and other places of sort of ill repute. Um, but these kinds of neighborhoods have been dying in Japan, um, whether it's demographics or gentrification. 
And the fact that somebody from a third generation, since it's opened, has 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 taken it over and has actually worked with people in the community to sort of um, keep the community as it is. He was telling me about that the last time I was there about a year ago, before everything uh, went haywire. You know that uh, they've they've come together, some of the local businesses, to say, "Hey, we want to keep our neighborhood um, and and its historical sort of atmosphere the way it the way it is." And we don't want to to fall victim to change that we've seen so much in Japan. So, you know, everything about that was so positive. And, um, yeah, I've taken so many people there over the years and, and everyone's fallen in love with it. Nice. Okay, up next, your number three pick. I'm still in Tokyo, which I think probably says a lot about uh, what a sort of uh, snob I am when it comes to city versus countryside. Um, and, of course, you know, Tokyo Jazz joins the project started in, in Tokyo, finished in Tokyo. Um, at least for the meantime. And uh, yeah, I mean, I spent, you know, 19 years of my life there. So very much a Tokyoite uh, at heart. And the third place that I chose actually was one that we have. And of course, we've covered most of these places before in different episodes, but but was Miles in um, um, Meidai Mai, which any of listeners are familiar with, with Shimokitazawa uh, in just south of Shibuya, southwest of Shibuya. Meidai Mai, another couple of stops. Uh, down the line, fairly sort of family friendly kind of neighborhood, not far from big, big centers like Shinjuku and, and Shibuya, but quite a nice, you know, quiet, uh, fairly relaxed sort of vibe. So for me, I think Miles would, would be uh, definitely on the list. So my number three, three choice would be Miles. And I think there, there's several reasons for that. I think probably the first reason that really makes it special for me is that when I came and, and pitched this idea of the project to you and and talked to you more about it. I think we really thought, you know, for, for me as a photographer, the idea was to, to capture this world before it goes, before it disappears. And a lot of my work is about that kind of like archiving and documenting. And I think, you know, even when we started into the project, the way that you were, drawing up lists of places was very much centered around this idea of, you know, what places are at risk of disappearing, what places mm, are mm -hmm. potentially going to be closed and, and we may never get to. And I think Miles was one of those ones. And I know, you know, we don't need to go over the whole story, but we'd been once, found it closed. We'd heard these different rumors and, and at, at that point thought, oh no, you know, like we've missed it. Like, what well, you know, were two or three weeks or a month or whatever uh, too late. And of course, eventually, happily, we did go back and we did get in and we did photograph it. And you can't necessarily tell from the photographs there, but the one of the counter with the records, that is the place. There's about four seats, if you're lucky, along that counter. <laughs> There's a bench behind the counter uh, just out of shot, but it's covered with magazines, so you can't sit on it. And then just over here uh, from where the vantage point is of, of the camera, there's a very small little table where you can kind of like touch knees and squeeze into the corner to together and it's up the stairs of this little wooden um house uh the owner lives downstairs you know there, there's people up there drinking and smoking and it's like thick with smoke it's got all this beautiful uh sort of memorabilia and it. it's run by a female owner which as we said is not the norm it's certainly more common perhaps than it might have been traditionally but certainly still in the minority uh, and then I think just in terms of the photographs itself and I'll never quite know but I, I was just looking at the photo there and zooming in um, but I think you know that this beautiful bunch of roses whether they're real I have a feeling that they were real but um, whether they're real or whether they're artificial you know next to this uh, Clifford Brown 
album and just even the little touch of red and the flowers and on that album cover always kind of like catches my eye and again I took some people actually to you were talking at the start about the sociable side of it and what you would show other people and I took uh, Sarah I took a couple of friends as well to Miles because again it, it's one of those places like if you had uh, two hours in Tokyo and you were dropped in there and it was like show me a jazz kisa it's one of the places you'd go to because it has everything uh, in it that just, you know, exemplifies the kind of the, the place that we love so much and the place that really fueled the whole start of this project. So Miles, um, you, you number said three. That, you said that perfectly. Um, I, I, I mean, yeah, you said it perfectly. I can only add two things. Uh, one, I think we've mentioned my um, illicit desire for the Miles Davis poster in the stairwell. Um, yep. but not being a, a thief, I did not rip it down. Um, Excellent. and the second thing, Philip, and I, I don't remember, we've done a lot of episodes and I don't remember if I've told you this or not. So forgive me if I repeat myself, but, um, the, the first picture that you've got here from miles, which is of the sign outside mm -hmm. of the street. And uh, for our non-Japanese reading listeners, uh, Kirin, uh, obviously in English, Kirin is a, a beer brand and it says Kirin beer underneath that. And it says jazz and coffee. Coffee is in Chinese characters, and then the vertical letters say Miles. So um, if you're a jazz fan, you know right away that it's going to be a jazz joint because it says Miles. But this particular picture, uh, a friend of mine from college had, uh, way after we started the project, somehow happened to see a link. And uh, he looked at Miles, and he saw this picture of the sign with the sort of the very typical Tokyo street in the background, people walking with their umbrellas. So you've got a little bit of a, a gleam on the on the road from the rain. This is a, a, a view that you and I have experienced, what, 10,000 times in our mm -hmm. lives in Japan. Um, and yet I, I didn't realize for people outside of Tokyo or people who've never been to Tokyo, when they see a picture like this, it immediately evokes in them like, oh my God, that's Tokyo. It's so cool. It's amazing. Look at it. And it's just, you, you kind of captured that just focusing on the sign, but you captured something that really, I think, um, it really explains to people where these sort of jazz joints are. Tokyo, you are overwhelmed with all this visual sensation. There are signs just everywhere. Every building yeah. has got like 50 places in it, right? So you kind of get, yeah, you yeah. kind of like start to, when you're here for a while, you just, you know, you don't really focus on it. It's very easy to miss these tiny little places, which is exactly what Miles is. It's one little tiny room on a street filled with other shops that you could just walk by in the rain. And so, um, yeah, I don't know if I did tell you that, but uh, I remember my friend, I mean, he went on and on about this one picture for about 10 minutes. Maybe we should try to sell it to him. I'm gonna. I was just gonna say, just pop his number after the after the recording. I, I um, get a thirty-five percent uh, finder's fee, by the way. Yeah, we can talk about that. Okay, let's take it offline. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Miles, uh, amazing. I, I think as well, probably um, after Masako uh, was closed in Shimoki Dazawa, it's, it's certainly, if not the oldest, it's it's up there as one of the oldest uh, running places in in Tokyo, isn't it? That that is that is correct. Yes, that is correct. Yeah. And you know, hopefully, um, as we've heard recently, um, it looks like a, a relative has taken it over. So um, let's see, let's see how long it can go. I don't know the status right now during the kind of semi-emergency we're in here, because a lot of places, when you look them up online, it just says 
it just says temporarily closed. So there's right. no real information. Yeah. But no, a wonderful pick. A wonderful pick. Um, wow. Well, we're getting we're getting closer and closer to our our the top of the pyramid here. Um, now I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go somewhere. I think you get you might. Uh, you might uh, challenge me for having it in what would, I guess, be the bronze medal position because we've only got three places left. I wouldn't and dream of it. I'm not really doing mine, con- uh, you know, consecutively in the in in the sort of any kind of descending or descending order. So I'd say, you know, for oh, me, those okay. are all uh, not much of a muchness because that 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 sort of diminishes them. But they're they're all very hard. I would struggle to choose between them. So I think for me, it's it's sort of you know a very strong pool and at the end of the day there's one star player probably that that just about tips all the others but mm. generally speaking I, I think they're all kind of for me personally anyway much you know much at that same level I, I no, wouldn't want to you, give you, up the experience you, you of being you take all the fun out of argumentation um, yes, I, I am know. going with my bronze my bronze medal place is our home spot it is Pithecanthropus erectus and okay. what can you say? We started out the series with this. We started out the project, I should say. And we also started out the podcast with it. Um, it is. It redefines uh, a dingy room on the third floor of a building that probably should have been condemned about 40 years ago. Uh, Pithecanthropus erectus, named after, the, of course, the Charles Mingus album, but beautifully, and you've got a great picture of the sign, the original owner has both the English and then the Japanese translation, which is four Chinese characters, Chokuritsu Enjin, uh, done in a beautiful calligraphy-type font on the sign. And um, I don't know, Philip, what can we say? Pithecanthropus erectus, uh, a little tiny square room, tons of old vinyl, very dusty, a small bar that seats about five people. Um, the minute I walked in there, when I first went many years ago, I thought, my God, I finally found it. It's the jazz bar I saw in that Japanese movie from the early 60s, which I'd always been looking for, not realizing that there were a lot of jazz bars like that in the early 1960s. But this was one of the last ones left um, in a neighborhood that's probably best described as uh, off the beaten path. Um, it's at the neighborhood called Kamata in the southern part of Tokyo on the way to Kawasaki, a very, very industrial area. Um, not the best reputation among Tokyoites. Uh, a little bit far from the station, and you got to walk down the rather uh, tawdry bourbon road to get to it. So it's it's definitely out of the way. You have to be looking for it. Um, but um, it's just a little bit of perfection. And every time I walk in there, I, I can't go out for at least two to three hours because I just sit, listen to the music, and, and sort of lose myself in time for a bit. So that's my bronze medal winner, Pithecanthropus erectus. I have a feeling that you may have chosen this first. So I hope I'm not jumping on your toes here. Nice choice. And um, I think uh, probably the hardest uh, in either language, probably the hardest uh, jazz joint name to pronounce, <laughs> at least without getting it wrong a couple of times. Um Great choice. Well, my uh, non-bronze medal uh, choice or, or, or the last couple of places that I've chosen before the 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 sort of the top dog would be uh, actually outside Tokyo. I thought I might as well get up and get on a train and, and uh, you know, just to keep the listeners outside Tokyo happy. But um, I'll start as far north as we've been, which was um, Hokkaido, of course. And I think for me, um, the my fourth choice would be uh, Jericho. Um 
Jericho was one of those places which, again, very much, and if, you, if you're looking at the photographs, you'll see that I definitely like a certain kind of aesthetic. And I think, again, Jericho fits right into that aesthetic from the sort of, you know, um, irreplaceable font on the on the sign outside to the interior and of course to the owner himself and Jericho was a bit of a wild card we didn't really know much about it we had the name um, we, we probably made the connection with the Coleman Hawkins track and beyond that really it was a complete unknown but we were up there we weren't going to miss out uh, and when we went to it we really weren't disappointed and we've talked about Jericho in our 5 days in June trip but you know the owner was just uh, more than welcoming uh, you know revealed his big secret that he quite often sleeps on the bed that you can't actually see uh, inside the joint itself uh, in between customers coming in and then of course i think you know again photographically for me um I just very happened to very luckily uh, find this moment when he'd put on a record, uh, closed his eyes to listen to it. Uh, and obviously Jazz Life magazine again was just sticking up. This is not staged. It just happened to be uh, uh, popping up uh, at the point that I was sitting to take that photograph. And I think again, for me, you know, that photograph just sums up everything about the jazz joints. You know, it's got the records, it's got the kind of studious, like educational side of it. You know, it's, it's full of books and magazines. Um, and it's got the owner right at the heart of it. And really the owners are the heart of these places at the end completely, of the day, you completely. know, and he's yeah. just there. He's happy. He's contented. He's just chilling to that music. And, you know, living is, is to use the social media speak, is best life. And I think, you know, for me, that kind of just really encapsulates like everything about these places if i had to sort of distill it into mm. to a couple of photographs this would definitely be one of them wow very wild card pick i i wasn't expecting to to hear jericho and um but looking back at the pictures now an absolute gem and yeah you're right i mean you know look how much it looks like a home you yeah. know yeah, yeah, but, yeah i mean it really does it's down in the basement it feels like you're in the basement of some guy's house the guy just collects a lot of records and magazines you know and um yeah i mean it's it's funny because you mentioned how he you know he's got the little little uh bed in the back room there with it just crash out to sleep um because he's open until you know i mean he's open till five in the morning it's just think about the, think about the life like if you've if you've chosen this life you've gone all in you know and there's really no going back um, but wow, yeah, you kind of surprised me there. I wasn't expecting Jericho, but a, a great place. Um, I, I have to remember it more through your photos because, as you may remember, <laughs> I think uh, I may have taken yep. a slight nap in Jericho yeah. the night. We I'd say that's a, fair, late, so. that's a fair assessment of the situation. Just, I mean, as a little add-on again, you sort of, when you look at these photographs, you, you do notice new things each time, but uh, quite a modern innovation, uh, certainly in Jazz Kisa, uh, terms of of having Wi-Fi as well with the password yeah. up there yeah. uh, displayed and not something that we're used to seeing. Not what you I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, I wouldn't say phones are banned, sure. but certainly there are some places that discourage them. There are signs up <laughs> saying don't use them, and of course, in some cases, actually, if you were certainly taking a call, you'd be you'd be asked politely or not to to leave. So, uh, nice little kind of um, innovation there, I think, and uh, a, a good sign for the sort of future of these places too, if people are kind of adapting to the times and uh, yeah just in the spirit again of, of seeing things that you haven't seen before uh, there's a classic sort of example of a like a corkboard type display there with a combination of, of 
things that have been given to the owner, photographs of him on a younger day, uh, jazz musicians, and up at the top, Guinness, James, Certificate of Official Membership of the London Pub Club, Jazz Spot Jericho. So there you go. Okay, I can very confidently state that this guy did not get that certificate as a member of the London Pub Club, that somebody would have just brought it to him as a gift. But yeah, more points in his favor. And I didn't really pay attention to that corkboard. As we mentioned, I was a little under the weather. Um, but uh, oh, yes, that's right. Yes, I remember we discussed uh, on our on our Five Days in June podcast, the uh, interesting menu choices there. He's only got two items <laughs> that you can eat so some vegetable fry up and then uh, a curry kake karage i'll definitely pass oh no 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 it's bring it on gyoza. bring it on Ooh, i say jesus yes oh, please imagine eating curried gyoza at, in jericho i mean you're taking your life in your hands my friend but uh yeah what a classic where class. else to eat it i would say i mean if not if not jericho where <laughs> anyway so, James, uh, we're getting closer. Um, I've got, by my calculations, uh, one more place and then my favorite. That means that you must have one more because you went first. Um, yes, that's right. Uh, one more. No, no, because we're doing six each. You've done four. I've done four. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got, so you got, one, I've got more one more plus and your then favorite. my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, my my fifth one, um, and it's it might surprise you because I've raved about it so much, you would have thought that it would be the all time Grand Prix winner, um, but it's not for for a very uh, very understandable reason. It's of course Coltrane Coltrane in Kyushu. Um, what can we say about this place, Philip? We've already talked about it, I think, on three episodes. Um, but I'm going to talk about it again. And if you've been with us this long, I think it's okay. Coltrane, Coltrane is nothing less um, than the most remarkable jazz temple that I've ever been in. And I've been lucky to travel around to a lot of places, going to listen to jazz. I always look for the jazz clubs and bars. And um, yeah, Coltrane, Coltrane. I mean, uh, let me just give uh, the stats that you need, the info that you need. It's its own freestanding house. It's got a gigantic mural of St. Coltrane um, on the side of it. The owner has cataloged literally hundreds of Coltrane albums and bootlegs in painstaking handwritten detail, which you've got some great pictures of. Um, he's got a listening, uh, sorry, he's got a little record booth, which uh, again, you can see a lot of places outside Tokyo, as we've mentioned, they have more space. So you can actually look through the glass and see this little mini library. Uh, he has a sort of a shrine to him on the back wall with his birth uh, date and the day that he died and several photographs. And the owner and his wife were just beautiful people. We've outlined uh, in, in, in long detail on our Five Days in June podcast how they were waiting for us when we showed up at 1045 at night on a weeknight after a long day of jazz spots. Um, and they were very so kind to keep the place open past 11. I think that they let us stay till about 1130, actually. And as you can see from the pictures, if you're looking at the website, they're definitely a little bit older, uh, but they were very welcoming to us. I think that it's the most, the single most spectacular uh, jazz joint that we visited um, in every way. And the only reason it's not first is just because of the location. It's actually quite a bit farther from Fukuoka City than I believe we mentioned on our Five Days in June series. It's a good 40-minute train ride um, from the center of Fukuoka in a town called Tosu in Saga Prefecture, which is south of Fukuoka Prefecture, Kyushu Island. So it's not exactly easy to get to. 
Um, and that would probably make it drop a tiny bit in my rankings because uh, I'm I'm looking for when we when when you when you pitched this idea to me, Philip. I was really thinking hard about it because my emotions about all the jazz places I've been to over the years, uh, you know, are very um, complicated depending on what period of my life I used to go there and you know who I used to go with, et cetera, et cetera. So I tried to keep it a bit more objective and think, what's the one place I would take a visitor to Japan? to show them this is what jazz culture is in Japan. Um, Coltrane, Coltrane would be it, except for the fact that it's <laughs> very, very far from anywhere. Um, but other than that, it's pretty much perfect in every possible way. I mean, you could argue if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. But, you know, uh, clearly location has come in to your decision-making process quite heavily, whereas I was working more on the basis of you know, you could just be dropped in by helicopter or like magic dust. And so none of that, none of that I factored into my decisions. Philip, I used to be be a tour guide. I do think of these things. Having said that, most of mine are in Tokyo anyway, so it's kind of a moot point. (laughs) But uh, okay, well, my last place, a bit of an outlier, this one too, actually, both geographically and in terms of the project. But I think, and we did reference it actually in in the previous episode, I think, but uh, my fifth and final place before my favorite would be Mingus. Wow, Mingus in Fukushima. Yeah, you weren't expecting that, were you? You bastard. I've thrown you every time. Because... And and here's why I think with Mingus, we, we mentioned last week, because I don't want to rehash that too much, but it, we mentioned that it was sort of, a, again, bit of bit of a gamble, didn't know anything about it. Um, and I arrived there on my own and this huge place, which goes across two floors, was absolutely empty. Now, in fairness, it wasn't open yet, but again, the guy let me in when I explained what I was doing. And even before that, you know, you come up the staircase with this, these just unbelievable uh portraits painted all over the walls and I it kind of I always think of you know when like when a new Banksy appears about all the furor and all the mad sort of chat that goes on about who owns it and like whose wall is it and people you know trying to steal bits of a wall or covering it with perspex if it's like a city council and all this stuff and I'm thinking I'm not suggesting these are Banksy's but you know like these were probably painted 30 40 years ago they are just amazing and they're just stuff that's on the walls in the stairwell you know this is even before you get in and then you go up to the top of the stairs you're greeted by this huge double base with the sign on it and and the symbol of course with the name painted and then you go in and i mean look if you're looking at the photos like look inside mingus i mean you've got the and i've often talked about this kind of altar like sound system you know you've got that down at the back uh you've got miles very squarely in the middle uh, and obviously then these just incredible speakers, this huge sound system. Uh, you know, you've got really comfortable uh, sofas and slightly less comfortable, perhaps sort of velvet uh, chairs. And then if you flip it right round, you've got uh, the counter. Uh, it, the walls are covered with signed drum skins. And then just to the left of that picture, you can see there's the kind of the old listening um, booth type uh, space that we've seen before where a lot of the record collection is kept. It's behind glass there. Uh, you access it from the from the counter. Then there's all this mad sort of these mad things like that look, look to me a bit like nautical things, but I'm not going to go into the terminology, hanging off the, the, the beam of the roof. And, and then, you know, on top of that, you've got this owner who was just 
so hospitable. I mean, he he insisted that I stayed and ate some food. He made me this beautiful curry. I mean, genuinely, re- and we've talked a lot about the food, particularly you, but this was genuinely a beautiful meal. He made me this gorgeous, spicy Japanese curry. He was very proud of it. And then after all that, he took me downstairs and revealed this Aladdin's cave of, of this whole live space on a second floor, you know, uh, red velvet sofas, uh, staging area, uh, expensive instruments lying on the, on the, uh, hanging on the wall. Um, and, you know, I just thought like, this is in a, a fairly nondescript regional town. And, you know, had we not known about this place or had not started this project, this is something that I would have never seen or never experienced. And most people in Japan, even people in Japan won't experience this place. And yet it is just one of the most incredible repositories of jazz culture, of jazz music, uh, of that passion and enthusiasm that we see time and time again, uh, you know, concentrated in this one space. And if that hasn't sold you to go to Mingus after this podcast, nothing will. It is um, it is number one on my list of places to go as soon as I can possibly travel outside of uh, my neighborhood. So um, everything you said and, you know, again, covered it last week. I was kicking myself for days and days afterwards that I didn't just take the three or four hours to go there with you because, my God, I mean, look at the place. It's just remarkable. I mean, everything, the the, the, the Mingus mural, the Joe Zawalo in the stairwell, like you mentioned. Um, I even love the sign, man. I, I just think that, you know how I am about my signs, right? <laughs> and I, you know, I just love that sign. Days of Wine, Roses, and Jazz, Mingus. Mm. It's just... Um, it's just perfect. And and again, it's, you know, like you said, it's the kind of place that I think, and, and I really hope that, you know, we, we've reached a fairly good listenership now uh, here on, by episode number 43. And we've had some, some good exposure with the exhibitions, um, with the magazine profiles, et cetera, not to toot our own horn, but, you know, I, I'm really, really happy. I wouldn't even say proud. I'm really happy that we've been able to share that these places exist because so many people who love the music, so many people love Japan, you get both sides. I have no idea yeah. about these kinds of joints and that they're everywhere. You know what I mean? You can just come down an alleyway and, oh, wait, there's a jazz cafe. You walk in and you see all this, all these treasures, you know? Um, so, yeah, a, a fantastic choice. And um, I'm, I'm still pissed off that, that you went there without me, but okay. I bet you too, as a, as a New Yorker, again, James, just looking clo- more closely at some of the images, I bet you as a New Yorker, uh, if you do get up to Mingus at some point in the near future, you'll be checking out Big Apple in the same building, won't you? Um, yeah, I'm going to refrain from giving my thoughts on Big Apple, actually, uh, because... <laughs> Don't knock it. Don't knock it till you've tried it. May, may not I, did, I didn't try it either, but I, now I've seen the sign, I'm thinking, was that a missed opportunity? Not suitable for family broadcasting, perhaps. Um, as our, as our we'll Cuban listeners would know, um, most, if not all, of the jazz joints, uh, many of them, are located in areas that are, are called Mizushobai in Japanese, which means the water trade. So basically the red, red light district. And um, yeah, we'll leave it like that. Yeah, I'll pass on Big Apple. Thank you. So the time has come. Um, and 
it's you up first. Wow. Okay. Which is usually, which is usually literally what happens in the jazz cafes as well, as I've referenced previously, when you with you and your phone and your camera shutter, always up first. Thought you were going to always say taking pictures to the bathroom. Um, okay. Yep. Uh, my all-time number one uh, jazz joint, a place that if I had a visitor, as I mentioned before, who said, "Show me what this world is and why you love it so much." Uh, and it is drum roll, please. Egakon in Tokyo, and that mm. might be a surprising choice. I don't know if you were going to guess this, Philip, but you tell me what you think after. But um, the reason I've chosen Egakon, there's, there's several different reasons. There's personal, and there's the objective. Um, there's the personal because I've spent, honestly, I would probably say I've spent a good 100 plus hours of my life inside of this very, very tiny room, maybe even more. Um, Eikokan in Japanese, some of our listeners have been there. I know that. And some might remember when we talked about it, but Eikokan in Japanese means movie theater, which is a very strange name for a jazz cafe. But the reason that it's called that is because the owner, uh, who you have a great portrait of, the very, very warm Yoshida-san, was also a filmmaker. And way back in the day, in the late 70s, uh, he and some other sort of uh, filmmakers who were outside of the mainstream film industry, they used to make documentaries and maybe some more experimental type, avant-garde type features. They needed a space where they could uh, show some 16 millimeter prints and they found this very, very small sort of triangular building down some steps in a neighborhood not far from Tokyo University, a little bit on the north side of Tokyo, but still central enough. So they rented the space, um, started showing movies, and then, um, you know, inevitably people started bringing drinks by. Uh, somebody brought by a record player to play some tunes after they'd watch a movie, and they'd all sit around talking. And very slowly and very organically, it turned into a jazz cafe and bar. And they decided to name it the Eikokan. And as you can see from maybe my all-time favorite sign, which is actually a big cube, uh, hmm. the Chinese characters say Eikokan, movie theater. And then in English, it says jazz and something else, coffee, tea, beer, and whiskey. Um, I can't tell you how over come with joy I was the first time that I went into Eikokan. I was just, because I'm a big film buff, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, I studied film in college, Japanese films are the reason I came to Japan. So when I walked into a place like this that combined two of my main loves, I sat down and ordered a Guinness and not only heard some great, I mean, he's got a huge collection of CDs and vinyl on an unbelievable speaker system, which, you've, again, you've got a portrait of, the usual sort of shrine setup. But while he was doing that and putting on some, some classic jazz, I looked up and on a shelf above me were a whole series of picture books, photo books, um, about Japanese cinema, the history of Japanese cinema, not just the movies themselves, but the actual cinema palaces from years past. And he had books in English, French, and Japanese, all about the movies, in addition to all the old jazz magazines. So this was a place that I just, every time I went, I lost time, man. You know, I, I would just pull a book down, order a beer, and the next thing I knew, I'm five beers in, and it's time to go home. 
you know, it's, it's the perfect, perfect place. Um, and it's probably the place that I feel, um, I would take any visitor to Japan to who said, show me a jazz kisa then. So that's it. That's my Grand Prix winner, the Ega Khan. Nice. And in a nice sort of symmetry, I think, um, I don't think I would have guessed that one. Most of your other choices, I'm not surprised by, uh, particularly, I did wonder if perhaps Naima, was going to be your choice. But, uh, you know, obviously that personal connection with this place, it makes a lot of sense. And just looking at the photos, I mean, there's not many photos there and it does make me wonder. Um, I think probably it was quite early on that we went there. I do remember meeting you at the station that day because it's sort of slight, it's on a slight hill, isn't it, Egakam? But mm. I, I think that um, probably it was it was fairly early on in the project. And I can tell just by looking at my own photographs that I was perhaps less comfortable uh, shooting uh, inside uh, which explains um, why there's not so many images. But again, I was just lucky enough to get uh, that portrait. Uh, and we've, of course, talked about uh, that in a previous show. But, you know, this very interesting collection of of uh, Coke bottles with, with different languages on well, them as well. Well, you've got the Coke so. bottles, and then you've got at the register by the door, you've got not only mm. that, that, that vintage register and, and black phone, next to it but all yep. manner of you know vacuum tubes um it looks like an oscillator at the top i don't know if that's hooked up to his amp or not i think it is you can see some of the records peeking out down below um you can see them up on the shelf behind i mean he's got and then even on the right side of the picture you can see some from the labels i think would be awamori which is the okinawan yeah, yeah. sort of liquor mm -hmm. uh, i mean this one picture alone is look how much is going on in here in addition to the sticker he has which is talking about the Fukushima nuclear he's uh, uh, it's 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 a sticker which is saying don't reopen the the nuclear facilities and for some reason it's in Japanese and what looks like Hindi I I don't know what that I think it's Hindi like. yeah yeah don't which know is interesting isn't it what that is but um, yeah there's just so much about the place I mean every time I go there you see a different thing on a shelf and it's a small room. You know, it's not a very big place. Yeah. It can only seat maybe about 15 people. So, um, but just covered and covered in different things. And it's it, it covers really all the categories because your audio freaks will spend all day looking at his equipment. The people there just for the music, okay, he's got all the records. He's got coffee if you're going for the cafe time. He's got booze for the nighttime. He's super friendly and happy to talk. And he's got all of these books, not even just jazz, but movies. Um, and it's fairly central in Tokyo. So it, it ranked at the top of pretty much, it got the most points in my very convoluted point system. Yes, indeed. It's also, um, it, it's yeah, I mean, it's got that uh, vibe almost of a a mad professor's sort of, workshop you know there's just so much going on like it's sort of even even the sign that uh, sign outside just this mad contraption uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just right. like it's it's, it's, it's like, it looks like nuts, an old 16 like. camera right which is just sort of there and uh yeah and remember that remember i told you that it says that it gives the time there 4 to eleven thirty p.m which is just completely unreliable <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't yep. show up there at four o'clock um, on any given day thinking he will be there because it's it's tenuous. It could be six. It could be two. You know. Well, I would say just uh, returning to my my comments there about the symmetry. Uh, I think it's fair to say I take and I take great satisfaction in it for some reason. I don't know why actually, but 
having uh, seemingly foxed you with most of my choices to this point, but uh, as if in some kind of reversal that was definitely not planned. Um, you have indeed uh, probably um, guessed uh, what my number one choice is. So what I chose as the all-time favourite, if I had to be put on the spot and I had uh, only one place that I could visit or revisit, um, it would be, of course... Pithecanthropus erectus in Kamata, the first place that we ever photographed. And I'll tell you why, for all the reasons that you've mentioned. But I think for me, uh, you know, from the photographic point of view, this was the place that changed a lot of things, actually, because it it started us on this mad journey, you know, which has then led to other things and other opportunities. You know, we've met some fantastic people, like I mentioned, Rhinoceros in Berlin, and, we, you know, we talked with Black Forest in Buenos Aires and Barshiru in Oakland. You know, it's put us in touch with people like Tony and Mike and BBE, and it's had that, we've had that involvement with, you know, the J Jazz volumes. Uh, and the artwork. And so there's just been so many things that have come from this project. And, you know, for me personally, even as a photographer, it's led me to like uh, begin a PhD and sort of develop more research skills when it comes to photography and, and build new projects. And I think the reason this place will always be the one is because, as we've talked about in a previous episode, it may never have happened at all. You know, we, we, we started with this place for, for reasons that, you know, you, you obviously decided, but it was mostly that it was near, apparently, because that's important. But also it was a really good example of that place. You know, you knew the guy there uh, and we kind of wanted to go here as, a, as an experiment, as a tester. And I think, you know, after our initial standing outside for an hour, not not sure if it was ever going to open, trying calling, getting no answer, going for a drink, and then coming back and finally finding it open. This was what really started the project. And I think it's probably fair to say that, you know, had we not gotten in here, arguably, perhaps we might have just packed the whole thing in. I mean, that doesn't show much resilience on our part, but, <laughs> you know, it was kind of a, an experiment. We thought, well, and had this not happened, it mightn't have led to the next two or three or 10 or 20, 50, 100 well, places, well, were, you know? Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of things, you know, because, I mean, we didn't really know each other very well at that point. And yeah. I, I, you know, we could have walked away and, and you might have been thinking like, oh, man, you know, what's with this guy? Like, he makes me come to the middle of nowhere. He <laughs> doesn't check that the place is open, you know? Wasted I mean, I was already thinking that. I was already thinking that when we were standing <laughs> there, by the way, but just didn't say it. And, you know, I mean, and, and, and I didn't know because I knew that you were, um, <clears throat> I, you know, I think we had mentioned before, I knew uh, you had done the, the swing dance project on on the swing dance scene here in tokyo jazz um, dance the uk jazz dance yeah, yeah which was but, yeah. but which was a bit you know that, that's a bit more maybe you know cl club type centric and i didn't know what your reaction would be really to this kind of place or whether you had been to one um to walk in and see it so just uh, the grime the 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 age of it you know uh i didn't know what your reaction would be you might might have thought well you know it's 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 atmospheric but it's not very photographic it's not really what i'm looking for so you know not having any idea what your reaction would be um that was also sort of a a, a risk but um, you know, when we got in there, you immediately, you know, we were sort of on the same vibe about it. And um, you understood why I chose it to be like the first one. And I thought, yeah, that's a that's a great start. And and like you said, it sort of kicked us off on this on this multi-year journey. 
I mean, I know, again, we've talked about this, but I I remember coming away from our initial meeting in in JBS and thinking, you know, I really thought he'd be more into this. Um, And I feel like perhaps once... I think I remember you saying to me, I maybe just maybe just making this up now, but I, I do think I remember like having shown you the photos from here, you sort of saying like, ah, like you, you kind of like had got more of like the idea that I, what I was talking about, you know, so seeing those visuals and seeing those images was kind of like, ah, that's what we're doing. And I don't know if that per- perhaps also then helped fuel it, you know, because sometimes you know it's it's all very well talking and explaining a project but it's really when particularly with photography when you actually see the visuals that it kind of puts it into some sort of context and it makes you realize what's actually happening you know or what the what the purpose of the project is so yeah and i i was really happy because you know i had been doing my website at that point for what eight years which was just basically a directory of all these kind of jazz joints with you know a couple paragraphs describing it and I, at the time, you know, I, I felt like, okay, the, the, the whole point of my side is basically just informative. It's just, this is the joint, here's how you get here. And this is the kind of music they play With, without a, without really thinking deeper about like, well, you know, what really is the, the vibe you're going to get there? And then when we talked about it more and, and, and started realizing, I think I mentioned to you that, yeah, you know, sadly, some of the places are closing. And we went in a little bit to the the sort of the history and, and, and the environment, um, the atmosphere around how these places operate economically. Uh, how there's no you know people to take them over we realized that um it took on a whole new meaning a bit of a deeper meaning so it's like yeah we're going to try to capture these places to preserve them and it gave yeah it certainly gave me a lot more inspiration uh you know after we had spent the first few nights talking about it and then and then getting these pictures up and seeing it and and it's a really great thing i mean just for example if you if you're looking right now at pithecanthropus erectus which you should be at tokyojazzlines.com look at the um the album guidebook which is near the bottom next to the coltrane album photo so you can see it written in english and japanese look how old this notebook is <laughs> you know i mean it's just it's peeling it's yellow and peeling and he still got it there from the original owner and he's going to keep it there i mean this menu of jazz albums is going to be inside this little bar probably for 75 or 80 years yeah. And I mean, to me, that's as 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 beautiful a thing as going to any old Viennese cafe that's been open since Mozart times or whatever, you know, whatever people tend to fetishize historically. Like this is our world because we're jazz fans and there's so much history here in Japan with these places. And yet still a lot of people don't know about them. So I, I think that that we were able to to start the project in such a beautiful joint like PE and now keep it going for so many years. I mean, I'm, I'm so thrilled about it, man. Yeah. And I think it has everything, you know, I mean, it has this amazing sign and this beautiful typography. And I've talked a lot about these kind of visual themes, these visual strands. It has this amazing record collection. It has the memorabilia. So, you know, you can see it a little bit on the the shot of the owner at the bar. And it's probably worth saying as well that these photographs are actually two sets. So the first three were the first time that we went that, you know, that evening in March in in 2015. Um, And then the second set are actually uh, photographs that we took when we went back uh, not long before I left Japan. And, you know, you can see it there in the first three shots, like a lot of the uh, decoration, uh, let's use the term sort of loosely, but it, it's actually old ticket stubs that, you know, in some cases are just almost like fused into the wall. They've been stuck there so long. Uh, it also has this 
um, amazing portrait of Miles. And again, it's just in the hallway. It's just sitting at the top of the stairs, you know. So uh, again, it speaks to that thing that we've talked about, about these priceless things just sitting around for people to, to potentially take if that was something that people generally did or, or, or were interested in. You mentioned the menu. It has this traditional menu. And we know, of course, like from a lot of these places you used to go in, you would order a drink, you would get the menu, you would give your request and you'd hear, you know, side A or side B of the um, album. And again, just on that note of the menu, it's there's this beautiful little sort of human touch where the owner has written John Coltrane Place for Lovers and then realised his mistake and just uh, annotated it by changing John and spelling it correctly in pencil next to the name. <laughs> and then, you know, you have, you have this lamp, which again, like you can imagine a time when that was actually a gas lamp. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's now been fitted with with uh, electric light bulb. But again, you know, uh, yeah, no yeah. frills. It's just the bare light bulb yeah. um, stuck in this old gas lamp. Uh, and it just that kind of, to me, speaks to that age of the place and uh, just the longevity of it. And then, of course, there's the famous door that we talked about last week, which is the, the jazz and freedom go hand in hand. Mm. And that quote from Thelonious Monk, which became, you know, a sort of a banner initially for the project. And it was very much like an image that we used a lot. And then finally, of course, we have the owner who, again, uh, very obviously from the pictures, is is a young guy. And so it, it just, you have this contrast between the old man, you know, the old salary man there having his whiskey, sitting at the bar by himself. And then you have this young owner who's who's chosen this life for himself uh, to open this place or, or to take over this place with all the sort of hassle and, and the lack of, uh, you know, a sociable lifestyle that comes with it. And fingers crossed, you know, that's something that he will persist with. Yeah, and, and it's it's great because, you know, I, I Ishizaki-san, the, the current owner, um, you know, I met him, um, I actually met the original owner when I first went to, to Pithecanthropus Erectus. Um, he was already in kind of ill health. And the next time I went back, uh, which has probably been about nine months after the first visit, many years ago, Ishizaki-san was there. And I thought he was just a, a part-timer, you know, maybe covering maybe maybe the guy's son. And he said, no, 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 uh, the original guy, I can't remember his name now, but he his health was just not not good. He had to sell it. I've, I've taken it over. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. Did you run another jazz bar before? No, I ran a Chinese uh, noodle shop. My parents, my parents' restaurant. I was running it, so he comes from running a, you know, a, a, running a shop, but not a jazz shop. So he's actually fell, fallen in love with the music by taking over the bar. Amazing. And uh, and now he, you know, when I go by to, I remember I've gone by many times since, and you know, I've sat and talked with him about all the records, and he's, you know, he's like, oh yeah, you know, I recently discovered like, you know, what is it, Cannibal Adderley or Art Pepper or whatever, and you know, there's all these albums there in the collection, and so it's just a little bit of living, living history from a time when these kinds of jazz bars were everywhere around Tokyo, and now they're not. And so it's so great that, you know, a place like this is able to survive, especially with a second generation owner. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, you know, Philip, I did, uh, you know, there's a regret, but what the hell, you know, we were improvising a bit. I kind of suspected that you were going to pick this. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if you were going to pick this or Coltrane, Coltrane. Yeah. Well, obviously a bit far. It's official. It's official, James. Uh, my favourite place, Pithecanthropus erectus in Kamata, the first place that we ever photographed, March 27, 2015. And your favourite place from the whole project to date, uh, Aga Khan, which, of course, as you said, you spent many, many fond hours in. 
uh, over the 20 odd years that you've been living in Tokyo. Not an easy decision to make and, uh, you know, uh, a bit arbitrary at uh, the best of times anyway. But of course, it's been really interesting to kind of like, again, look through those places, you know, find things that we didn't see before. Uh, and try and kind of distill it down. And if you are listening and you are either in Japan or planning to go and visit uh, at some time in the future, we would highly recommend uh, that any of the places that we've covered today, you put those on your must-see list. There's no way you'll ever get around them all, um, certainly not in a short trip, but it's definitely worth checking out any of the places that we've talked about today because they are classic, absolutely quintessential examples of a Tokyo or a Japanese jazz joint and not to be missed. Well said, my friend, well said. And um, lest our listeners get worried that uh, we are going out on a, on a high note with this awards ceremony, please do not worry. We do have some more coming for you uh, fairly soon. Um, obviously, our project is on a little bit of a hiatus due to events beyond our control, but we do have a lot more still that we can get to to talk about. And um, yeah, we've got uh, some other some other news coming as well pretty soon, don't we, Philip? Absolutely, yeah. We're going to be back uh, in the next few weeks with a couple more episodes, definitely. Uh, we're going to be thinking about what the future holds for Tokyo Jazz Joints in 2021 and beyond. And we've also got a uh, hopefully exciting announcement for our dedicated listenership, which will also hopefully give you an opportunity to get a bit more involved with Tokyo Jazz Joints. A shout out to John in Glasgow. I had a lovely email from him this week just thanking us uh, for the project. Shout out to Danielle of High Minds. Uh, we're working on something with her at the moment as well. And a shout out to all of you, really, because, you know, we're approaching 60,000 listens now in less than a year, which just is absolutely mind blowing uh, to think uh, that there's that many people. Again, as well, some really interesting places. Someone listening from Bhutan there. Six listens in Egypt, of course, where I lived for a year uh, on a brief hiatus from my time in Japan. And uh, yeah, it's really nice to see that, you know, we have this worldwide listenership. Uh, and it just, I think, is testament, not perhaps to our podcasting skills, but definitely to the appeal of uh, Japan and to the appeal of the jazz joints uh, uh, that form the crux of the project. So thank you to all of you. Uh, keep listening. Uh, keep looking at the photographs uh, and we'll be back soon. James, I will talk to you soon, I guess. Very soon, my friend. Very soon. Stay safe. And um, yeah, uh, one extra shout out to um, your uh, fellow Irishman at the Bushmills Distillery. Um, you guys made the pandemic all the more enjoyable for me as we do our nightly podcast. Well, nighttime for me. Yeah, you're having a coffee or a tea, I guess. But um, And of course, as ever, uh, Bushmills, if you're listening, I'm also a fan. We're looking for a sponsor. Why not? Get yeah, involved? Bushmills, Guinness, Aerolingus. Um, yeah, we can have the, the trifecta of Irish uh, major corporations there. So good Boom. talking to you, buddy. It was note. great fun doing our awards ceremony. And uh, yes, we will be back soon. All right, man. Take it easy. Ciao. Bye bye. Thank you.